Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast, a special Thursday edition of the pod. As I mentioned after our Monday show, Weldon and I hopped back on to recap Ole Miss's uh, early signing day, early national signing day, whatever the hell you want to call this early signing period. Uh, what the Rebels missed out on, I think it. Uh, I think there was a lot left to be desired, but they did get some good players in this class, and then it really crystallizes the both the risk and reward of this transfer-heavy strategy they appear to be going with. So we got into a lot of that, uh, what Ole Miss is going to do at quarterback next year. And, uh, yeah, a lot of recruiting stuff. It was uh, a, some fascinating discussion, really not even just about Ole Miss, just kind of the uh, where this industry and this entire recruiting thing is going at large. You had the Hunter kid go to Jackson State. So a lot of different great recruiting stuff in here. Uh, great show for you, so buckle up. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Pitch. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Skybox went up plus 18.7 units in college basketball this weekend. Guess who did not do that? Probably you out there probably having to pay your uh, bookie on a Monday. You don't want that. You want the man paying you. Skybox will consistently do that more so than your own knowledge and your own brain. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Daily free plays on the site. Just free money. College basketball, daily free plays. They went 3-0 and last Saturday, I believe, or this past Saturday. I got tagged in a tweet. I think that was over one day. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. You need to use these guys. Don't rely on your own wisdom. It's not going to work. They're going to consistently lead you to profit. Go check out one of their packages. Use the promo code RIPPY. Get 20% off. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg right now if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a newsletter from me three to five times a week plus discounted meats. Right now it's a 20, uh, 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Go in there, show proof of subscription, grab that, and then go find all your favorite, uh, find your own favorite items there. Uh, it's crab stuff, mushrooms, all kinds of fresh seafood sausages it's the best place in mississippi to get meat greg wants your grilling experience to be great you need to check them out lb's university avenue across from kroger podcast also brought to you by manscape that's right manscape you need to join the over two million men that trust manscape to uh, handle everything in men's grooming precision tools for your jewels lawnmower 4.0 model nice little led light on that thing portable charger you need to check them out i heard the 70s were a wild time but Manscaped is here to make that sure that's a thing of the past. You need to be all groomed and kempt down there. We can't have, be having things get out of control. Manscaped.com, they are here. The experts in men's grooming, they're here to make sure that you have some nice, smooth boys and make me time in the bathroom your favorite time in the bathroom. Check them out, Manscaped.com. Use the promo code MPW, get 20% off. All right, here's Weldon on the signing day that was for the Rebels. 
All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg. This is a uh, special Thursday pod, I guess. Not really. We just didn't do a Wednesday show because uh, Wednesday was the early signing day, national signing day, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, Ole Miss ends up with a handful of signees. There were some decent moments, some bad moments. I think the best way to describe this day is probably that there was much left to be desired. It wasn't a disaster. It wasn't great. And it didn't help that I think their in-state rival probably had a better day than they did today as well. Um, we talked a lot on the Sunday show just about the process, what goes into it. Uh, I guess we'll just pick up where we left off there before we get into what actually happened today. When you, uh, when this is over now, I know there's always a couple of stragglers uh, that kind of come in in the days after. What's this like for the staff now? Like, is it just like, do you wallow in pity? Do you celebrate? What's the thing like? Like, it's probably somewhere in the middle. No, it's not that dramatic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's more well, it's more fans. Well, yeah. Well, of course. You know, the years I worked there, we uh, didn't go to a bowl game. So after signing day, at least the early one, we're going on a break. <laughs> also true. So this staff will probably be doing bowl prep and practice and. There's always a few stragglers on Thursdays and Fridays that'll come in and sign a little later for whatever reason. You know, I don't know. But, uh, no, you don't wallow. You don't get too excited because at least this staff, that they've got some stuff they've got to keep working on. Yeah, you were at the beginning of this in terms of the early signing period and then, like, the kind of early parts of the one-time transfer window. But, like, in terms of, like, recruiting never really slowing down or sleeping – it doesn't feel like we talked. I think I used the analogy, the hay in the barn or whatever. And as it pertains to the high school kids, I'm sure they were after today. That's probably true, as you mentioned. But in terms of, I guess, just getting this class together, it doesn't feel like the hay's in the barn at all. So we'll miss sign what? One, two, three, six. I'm not going to count this. What, like a dozen kids today, something like that. Or I something could just like look that. at the top 15. They signed 15 kids today. That's at least 10 spots still open. I'm not a recruiting scholarship guru. There's probably a couple more based on portal guys and stuff like yeah. that. Like what? There's probably, they probably got half the class today, roughly maybe a little bit more if with 15 signees. Yeah, probably half. And knowing the way they'll, they'll do it is I bet you they'll get up to like 23 maybe. And then they'll keep two or three for, like those spring portal guys that we saw like with Umano last year. And then obviously if you have enough leave, you'll have those extra seven spots to get you to 32 um, that'll be used for the portal. So I would guess they probably signed somewhere around seven more high school guys. And then if they use all their spots, like it could be close to nine, 10 portal guys, which is, I mean, that's the strategy they're going with. So, I mean, that you, <laughs> that's what they're going to do. So there's no reason to, you know, be confused by it or complain about it because that's just what they're going to do. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And this is what we talked about even in season when I think it was mostly due to just like them playing bad at times and talking about retooling the roster and recruiting. I mean, we, you, I say we, you were the first on it. You pretty much projected that, hey, they could, like the amount of transfers they could get could be in the teens. And that could still technically be the case. It may not be technically in the teens, but you get the point, like it's double digits. And so this is just part of what they were going to do. It's what they were always going to do. And everyone knew this going in. It just seems like where the disappointment lies, if the Rebel Grove message board is any indication is with 
the handful of guys they didn't get right. The Clayton kid flips back to state. I saw a note from one of the jeans page guys that he was state's first commit of this class in their last signee of the early signing period kid flipped back and forth a couple of times. You know, they weren't able to flip Jaheim Otis despite some late efforts. And there were a couple more out there. I don't know how, how much of a chance they ever stood with Travion Williams from reading just base level stuff and listening to Neil and Chase, it didn't seem like there was a ton of momentum there. Uh, they weren't able to pick the late push for Derek Moore, uh, Percy Lewis, the Mississippi Gulf Coast kid who we covered, uh, you covered in terms of it being uh, Ole Miss not having a ton of success down there. There's just four or five guys that you would probably like to maybe land one or two of them and feel a hell of a lot better about yourself. But in that kind of the si- like signing day in a nutshell every year, Like, if you whiff on, like, the five guys up in the air, it seems like everyone's pissed, even though you still have decent players. You want to get one or two of them. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, like we said on Sunday, the odds of Ole Miss being, like, super shocked by about how any of this turned out today is probably pretty low. Um, I mean, the Clayton kid visited Mississippi State the weekend before signing day on the last – I mean, the the, you knew where that was going, put it that way. You know, that that does that's not very normal of a commit to do especially to an in-state rival. And then, yeah, like they didn't have a chance with the Trevion Williams kid, it seems. Um, so, you know, it doesn't necessarily count as a loss on signing day, but it's definitely just a loss overall. Um, Percy Lewis is a guy they didn't get. Um, the Michigan kid, you know, who knows with that, but that's that's one of those, like he, he came available very late and they tried their best. So I'll give him some credit on that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it wasn't an overly exciting day, to be honest. Uh, um, they are, I think I saw like 12th in the 24-7 ranking of, of 14 SEC teams, and Florida is 14th, and I can tell you for a fact that will change because um, Billy Napier is about to go on an absolute tear there. He had a Because they day. finished really well today. Yeah, and that's going to be the case for him for a long time. So just be prepared for that. Um but, I mean, they signed some some really good players. Um, they kept majority of their commits committed. You know, there wasn't a lot of surprise today, and that usually happens. Um, but this this whole class and, I guess, the kind of the future of how they're going to build this program will be dictated by the impact players they get in the portal. Um, that's a strategy I've questioned uh, pretty vocally since we've been talking about it. But, you know, if they hit on those guys – then that supplements some of the issues. But the issue is you have to keep hitting on those guys year after year after year. Um, so, it, you know, I, I think he could be on the cutting edge or he could be uh, playing with fire. I guess we'll just have to see. What I'm, This next question is strictly just your opinion because I find this to be the most fascinating piece of the whole Ole Miss transfer portal heavy thing. So they had a roster that if the defense improved, what we thought they could be. They had a roster that was built to win and win, you know, eight, nine games to their credit. They maxed out. I thought the ceiling was 10. They absolutely hit it. Got a chance for 11 with the bowl game. With the momentum you have as a program, and I know that's kind of a dumb word, but you win 10 games, you got a chance to go win the Sugar Bowl. How much of this portal heavy focus is in the name of not necessarily wanting to take a step back. And it's more than that. It's also just the way like this, they still inherited a decent portion of this roster. And then you add in the one time free transfer as Kiffin referred to it as free agency. We'll get to his comments in a minute. 
Like, how much do you think this is a long-term strategy versus them viewing the next, I don't know, 18 months or 12 months or even just the next two months and trying to put the most competitive team on the field for 2022? I think that's the most fascinating part of all of this. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, putting the most competitive team on the field is the goal every year. And I'm not meaning to, like, this at your question, but I oh, yeah, sure. No, I understand what you're saying. Um, in terms of like the long term strategy, I think he's been pretty clear that that's kind of how they're going to go about it. Um, the only thing is, it's like Kiffin hasn't been long term anywhere. That's awesome. So true. it's like, what's the point of having a long term strategy <laughs> if you're there and everything, or if you're not going to be there? Um, and that's obviously the questions fans have had through this whole deal is like what actually was his commitment level to recruiting this year? Like, cause you know, by all accounts, he was looking to go somewhere else. Um, you know, there's been some talk that like this past week, like that's the most, this past week or two is the most he's recruited for Ole Miss since he's gotten there because he's like, well, I'm here. So I got to buy in. And to his credit, it sounds like he did. Um, I, this, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they want, they realize they're losing a first round quarterback they're losing a, you know, probably a day two super impact defensive end, uh, some receivers, just a lot of impact players, and they need to go get immediate impact players. But the idea that you can't get that out of high school, I don't think is the correct viewpoint. Because if you look at the guys who kicked ass, Georgia, Alabama, A&M, two of which in your, are year in division, those guys have like 24 commitments and signees today. They're not doing this portal thing. Um, maybe that's because they don't have to because they're recruiting so well. And, you know, their networks and ILs, you know, blah, blah, blah. Who cares what the excuse is? They're in your division. You got to play them. Um, those guys clearly are just going to go get one or two of the best. Well, Ole Miss is trying to do the same thing. So it's like, are you going to beat out those guys for the best is, is the question. I, I just don't know if they're going to do that. It's basically the same thing as recruiting high school guys. Now, I think Kiffin probably connects with older players better, portal guys better, guys that have played, guys that have had experience are like, look, I'm just going to get in the right system. I've seen this whole charade. I, I know what's what's what. Um, and I think that's a valid point. But uh, it, it's going to be super interesting to watch this because I think they can do this successfully. But you have to hit because if you don't hit, then you, you're you're the bulk of your program, these high school kids you develop, I mean, that that amount of players getting so much lower year after year if you're just so reliant on the portal. It really is fascinating. There's so many elements to this. And as someone who kind of raised their hand, I never had to cover recruiting. I never, was never super into it anyway, probably because I wasn't like the player eval type in terms of being like football smart. But there's so many layers to this. You mentioned the aspect of, Look at Alabama, look at Georgia, look at Texas A&M, the teams that are really successful. Probably throw A&M out just in this point in terms of on-field results. But, hey, they went 11-1 and one or 10 but in, one in, but in terms it's of working, the, where their yes. program's at and recruiting-wise, these past three years, they're a top-five program. thousand percent. And what on happens if field, Haynes King doesn't get hurt this year? Like, I, I know yeah, – you, you know what I mean? Like, they're probably 10-2. and two. Who knows if that Ole Miss game goes the same way? You're right, right. though. The blue-blood programs that are having the most consistent success in this sport are doing this still with the high school way. And they'll solve a very specific need in the portal, a la Jamison Williams, right? Alabama needed kind of a, a beat you deep, deep threat. That was the dumbest way to put it. But like a blazer in terms of speed. 
and beat you deep. And they went and got it. And he's been amazing. He's probably going to have to be even more amazing with Mechie out for the season, but it's very selective, but they've built up the program and earned the right to do that. I mean, you, I think you referred to Georgia as a business one time. Kirby's running a pretty solid business operation over there. And it, but that takes time. You remember the Kirby's first year, Ole Miss beat the shit out of them. And that was a five and seven Ole Miss team. And it was Jacob Eason, I think is like a freshman at quarterback. It was, yeah. Yeah, it's not the perfect example, but like that did take time to build up and build up all the way up to the Rose Bowl two years later or whatever it was. And they make the national championship game. And it's fascinating because you talk about the aspect of Kiffin not necessarily being urgent in recruiting. Uh, I know Neil's had some sub. I don't want to call it reporting, but sort of context reporting about him not necessarily being organized when it comes to recruiting. And I think that's a decent parallel to how he views this job versus looking at other jobs. By all accounts, like you mentioned, it would be naive to say that uh, Lane Kiffin was hell-bent on staying at Ole Miss through 2022. That would just be being Pollyanna. I mean, I don't know what (laughs) the truth exactly was about the Miami thing and all that. It doesn't really matter. He's clearly looking. He's always looking. He doesn't have a long-term track record of staying anywhere. And I think that's a, a pretty good parallel to his approach to recruiting. Like he went, <laughs> he went 10 and two with a Heisman contender at quarterback that he made into a Heisman contender. I wonder if I'm not saying this is a hundred percent his MO, but I just wonder like if he was like, yeah, I'm going to have some jobs lined up, you know, some behind the scenes stuff would lead you to believe he was a little bit surprised that he wasn't in the mix for some of the jobs he was in the mix for. And then all of a sudden it seemed like the last three weeks, he's like, Oh, I got to put a roster together next year when I leave all these guys. I don't think it's necessarily that cut and dry, but I do think it's a parallel there. And I hate to bring up Hugh Freeze in this discussion, but Hugh Freeze built up to that 2013 class. I know there was only one before it, but then the 2016 on top of it. And if you took out the NCAA sanctions, 15 would have been better or NCAA investigation. 15 would have been better. And who knows what would have happened. But, you know, other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? But Freeze was other than some light flirtation with Florida, it seemed like he was going to be there for a few years. And Kiffin's in year two, and he's already flirting with it. And so I just think there's some sort of parallel between the mindset of how you view this job where you're going to be long-term versus how you approach recruiting, if that makes any sense at all. I think it's a relatively fair analogy. It's I, I general. Do, yeah, it's a little general. It's a little out there, but I don't think it's, like, totally false. Um, but I do think you'll probably, now that he's here, he's – pretty locked in whether he wants to be or not. Um, I think he wants to be in the SEC, and I think he is okay at Ole Miss more than some people would say. Agreed. Um, This 23 class and finishing out this 22 class is just ginormous because if you look at the schedule next year, I mean, they've got to get a quarterback. And I'm not saying Luke can't be the guy, but their flirtations in the portal – pretty much tells you they're not overly confident that he's going to be just the guaranteed heir apparent. He can't um, be the guy next year. Yeah. So, but they're, they're in a, a weird situation with their schedule next year where they will have time to get some things straightened out with the new offensive coordinator, whoever the new quarterback is, but that second half of the schedule, you could legitimately go. Oh, and six. Yeah. You could legitimately go. Oh, and six. So, the, the idea you want to put the best you know team on the field in 2022, well, you're going to have to hit on some impact guys and you're going to have to figure out your quarterback situation because, you know, going 10-2, winning the Sugar Bowl is, is amazing. There is absolutely nothing you can take away from that. And they did everything right, but they had a first-round quarterback. They're not going to have that next year. 
and they've got to figure out some of these holes. And I'm not saying they can't do it. I actually do think they will figure it out. They will find a guy that they are that they want. I think they will get like Deion Smith will be a huge impact player, and I think they'll hit on some other guys that haven't even jumped in the portal yet. Um, but it, it's still super, super, super risky. And I would prefer Ole Miss. I've always said it to go the Clemson, you know, program building route where you just evaluate your ass off. You fix holes through recruiting these high school kids. And obviously the portal was different, but it doesn't mean you don't recruit high school kids. And then finally you find the elite quarterback and now you're a problem and you keep winning games, you keep winning games, you keep building the program, have some stability. And that's, I think that's the best model Ole Miss could use. Um, he clearly finds this portal fascinating and I think it's worked out so far. So he's like, well, it's just going to keep working out. Um, I guess we'll just have to find out because it's, um, it's not as easy as I think he thought it might be after this year. It's like uh, getting on a heater on the craps table. Craps, they always say, is the best odds in the house. And look, transfers are more of a known commodity because in most cases, I know there are kids that leave because they don't play, but you've got some idea of what they are as a college player. So your odds are a little bit better, but, you know, they didn't build casinos off a losses either. And so, like, you know, I mean, the idea that they're going to keep having the batting average they have, because it's important to point out, to their credit, they hit – they hit a home run this past year. I know Jake Springer was a guy that came in and had to sit out a year, but I still think it counts as it pertains to the conversation. Like if you, we all have short memories in this microwave news cycle, but there were talks of Ole Miss taking a step back is a weird way to describe it because of them playing nine games last year in a regular season in a stupid COVID year. But like, there were talks of six and six, seven and five, if the defense sucked and they couldn't replace the receivers and all that. And I think the difference between them, uh, you know, going seven and five and 10 and two were largely because of what they did with transfers. You saw what the defense looked like when Springer came back. Uh, you know, Otis Reese is in there as well. I know he didn't come in this offseason. Chance Campbell is probably the example I was looking for. Change the, you know, change the dynamic of the defense. But like you mentioned, is that well going to run dry? Or are those odds always going to stay in your favor? I think is a fascinating kind of question to answer. And how aggressive do they continue to bet when it becomes to the portal? Again, that goes back to the question, do you think it's just a this year thing? Because they evaluate it as, hey, we don't need to take a step back. This is the best way to replenish the roster. But the other side of that coin, as you mentioned, how many times have we heard Kiffin talk about, well, we're not as deep as we'd like to be. You're not really going to build real depth in the portal. I know nowadays it's much more common to get a kid with two and three years of eligibility left. But what you're talking about, the Clemson model, evaluating and build and build and build until you become a problem, you're never going to – that's always – to me, that's bred out of depth. And I don't think you're ever going to formulate that real depth by going so portal heavy unless you land every single high school kid that you took today, like, the you know, 12 of them or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah, and the, the interesting thing about it is his portal mindset, at least so far, has been to go for the older guys you know, the juniors and seniors out of the portal, which I completely agree with. However, the the flip side, the two-edged sword to that is that they're only there for a year or two. So you're going back to replace them again in the portal, and that's why I'm saying you have to keep hitting because if you start not hitting, which some of the programs around the country, like LSU, I mean, they have whiffed multiple times on transfers, then you're in a real serious problem. 
Um, that's why I just, the emphasis on high school recruiting is so important. And I'm not trying to be like some Debbie Downer because I think they did sign some really good kids. and They've got, you know, some good prospects that are possible for February. Um, but it, it's just an interesting way they're going about it. And I think his comments have been pretty fair. And uh, actually, I saw Dabo say something and the 95% of what Dabo says and has been saying about this portal and NIL, everything has been total nonsense and bullshit. But the one thing he did say that is so true is, you know, he's like, yeah, we, we monitor the portal every single day. We're looking at every single day, but there is a reason why all of these guys are in the portal. (laughs) And the reason is for the majority of time, there has been an issue with their previous stop whether it has been playing time, whether it has been attitude wise, you know, not everybody is just looking for a different place, you know, to go live for two or three years in college. There's usually a reason why they are in the portal. And now it's a little bit less than that because the portal is so heavy. Like not all of these guys are transferring because they failed out of classes or everything, but there's still a reason why they're in there. So, you know, there's only going to be so many elite ones and Ole Miss, you know, take off your red and blue glasses, probably aren't going to land the best at every position in the portal. So you better be evaluating like an NFL team with some serious college scouting um, or, or you can have some serious depth issues. I think the perfect encapsulation of the example you're talking about is, is the quarterback. They've yet to land a portal quarterback. They clearly didn't get the top ones on the market. I don't think that means they can't get a good one, but hell, you just had a quarterback go 10 and two playing a really fun offense, they probably didn't help that, you know, all the receivers got injured and he got hurt in the second half of the year. But, I mean, look at the numbers crowd put up and what he turned into, and they're not necessarily getting their pick of the litter when it comes to quarterbacks. So I think that they plays – They couldn't even – they didn't get a high school guy. Yeah, exactly. I, I wonder how you, intentional you that was. like, it is – I don't want to say this, like, too hyperbolic, but it is – you have to sign a high school quarterback. Every in every semester. class? In every class. And that doesn't mean that, like, you have to sign the top one, but j- just the way the transfer portal works now, like, these guys don't play immediately. They transfer. Right. I mean, some of these quarterback rooms, I mean, LSU, they talk, I always talk about LSU because obviously I follow that program. There was talk last year when they had Miles Brennan, Max Johnson, and Nussmeyer coming in that it was going to be, like, the deepest, most talented quarterback room LSU's had in a long time. And in one season, they cannot start a quarterback in a bowl game. <laughs> it really is insane. And then the idea that, like, the portal that you're going to go get to, well, the guys are in the portal because they couldn't start at the place they were going, they were at, so they want to go start somewhere else. It's going to be tough to convince a guy in the portal to be like, hey, come here and uh, compete for the job. Like, <laughs> that's just going to be a tough sell. Uh, so it's it's and maybe they will sign a high school guy in in February. It's very very possible, uh, but it's just it's a tough sell. It's an interesting, interesting way to go about it. And I like I've said multiple times, I think they can do it successfully. But one year is just one year. You have to keep doing it over and over again. It's the quarterbacks, the risk reward part of this, as we keep going back to, as you mentioned, if and when they do, uh, wins probably the better way to go get a quarterback in the portal, they're hitching their wagons to him. Like you mentioned, you don't really want to sell. Hey, 
come compete for a job here and, you know, maybe pack up your shit and leave in August again if it doesn't work out so well for you. Like, I think if they get the quarterback in the portal, that's their guy. And if he can't play, then he can't play and they might suck next year. Like, it's it to me seems that simple. And that really goes back to the risk-reward aspect of all of this. Before we get to Kiffin, some of Kiffin's comments, let's just re- very briefly kind of go through who they get. So they signed Xavier Harris. They signed Jaron uh, Willis, uh, Taylor Groves. I don't want to go through all 14 of them. I'll leave it to you. Uh, what stuck out about who they did sign today? You mentioned like you don't want to be all doom and gloom. I don't think we have been. I think this is just kind of what people are talking about. But what uh, what were you impressed with today in terms of who is here and has signed an NLI? Um, I love Quinshawn Judkins. Uh, I've said it multiple times. He, he's going to be – I think he's going to be a really good player. Uh, he's not a burner by any means, but in terms of just physical – uh, one-step cut kind of guy, kind of like a parish one-step cut guy. He's got a chance to be a really good player. Um, give me two seconds. Let me pull up all the signees. I had to do the same thing. I thought I could write them down and do it by memory, and I was like, nope, we got to we gotta hit up, hit up um, one of these sites. Yeah, sorry. Two seconds. Great podcasting here. Uh, you're fine. Uh, no rush. Um, I, so I went, I went and watched Jaron Willis. Um, and I, I think he's going to be a really good player. He, he reminds me a lot of Patrick Queen at LSU. Um, he's probably like a six foot, you know, 200 kind of linebacker, probably a little heavier than that. Uh, really good blitzer. Of course, of course, this kid, you know, his highlights are 15 straight plays of him coming unblocked off the edge and tackling the quarterback. So I didn't show you too much, but um, he looks like a great player. Obviously, Xavier Harris is a guy you just want on your team, whether he plays offensive line or defensive line, he's an SEC lineman body, and that's huge. Uh, And that's why the Clayton thing hurts, because whether he was offensive line or defensive line, just by sheer body type, like that's an SEC body type. Um, So that one stings a little bit. Taylor I don't Groves. know what went into the dynamics of that, but it, he sounded pretty convinced he was going to play defensive line just from the tea leaves I read. Which is fine. So yeah, the, sure. He does that off. It doesn't matter. Um, Taylor Groves is a really good player. Um, he's got a chance to be kind of like that long safety. They haven't. They've kind of struggled with length in the back in the past years, and now they'll have you know this kid AJ Finley, Miles Battle. Like that's a some guys with some serious length on the back end, and that's that's big time. I don't remember Nick Cole. Jarrell Stinson is not the biggest guy, but he's he's a blazer. Um, I don't know what position he'll play. Probably safety. Uh, he he's too small to play corner, uh, but he's a great player. Love Larry Simmons. Haven't gotten to watch this Miami kid they flipped this offensive lineman, but just sheer measurables. He looks like a mountain. That was uh, came out of came out of nowhere, didn't it? I didn't hear rumblings of this kid at all. When they, and again. I'm out of it. I was sitting at my desk job selling some grease today, and they said they flipped a kid named Flip, and I was like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, no, I didn't know who he was, but I went I went and did a little bit of research on him. Um, Cam East, uh, obviously all Louisiana players the best, so this guy is going to be a first-round draft pick, no doubt, from St. Aug. Um, I actually know a lot about this kid because I was one of the – I watched him way back when, when he was younger. Um, because you don't see too many six, seven kids playing for St. Aug without offers. Um, I, I love this kid. I, I think he's got a huge upside um, just with that kind of length and size at playing tackle. And they need some more tackle bodies. And they got two of them today, which is huge. Uh, no idea on the Juco kid. 
no idea on the Virginia kid, but, you know, I, I usually trust Partridge when it comes to those guys. He's got a pretty good hit rate so far. Um, Jeremiah Dillon is a speedster, um, got a chance to be a great player. So, I mean, they, they signed really good players. I think that could be really good players or they could be bad. That's the inexact science of it all. Um, it just seems a little – it's just a little odd, I guess you could say, because it's just so different from what people are used to with these signing days. Um, and there's not exactly one player that, like, really gets you jacked up, you know, like like a Jerry and Ely. Uh, that would have been Jaheim Otis. A Jaheim Otis would have gotten you really jacked up. And, you know, I'm not even, like, the biggest Jaheim Otis fan, but just from a an in-state big-ass kid on a position of need, like, that's exciting. Um, so last that, year's, in a way, it's Taiwan Malone, isn't it? Like, whatever right. you think of him, that generated a lot of buzz when they got him late. That, I really think that swayed the perception of the class. Like, Malone and Taishim Johnson were guys who were like, yeah, yeah like, this is, like, guys who you just – you just have a feeling and you know, and then you see him play and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And obviously Malone had injuries, but I think that but the is, other one played like uh, Tashim Johnson yeah, was great. A shit ton. Yeah. He played great as a freshman. So th- I think that may be where some of like the fans have issues. It's like, there's just not that one guy. And that's not to say he's not coming. Um, but you know, the problem is, is you, you bet in your, your, your money on a guy like Zach Evans, where you have like no idea what that kid's going to do. Or the quarterbacks, and you know, and Dion will be there, and that's really exciting. But it, I think that's the biggest, I guess, kind of at least uh, from a outside perspective, why some people might be frustrated. But when you give it a look, like I really like a lot of these kids in this class, and I know a lot of them, and have watched a lot of them um, when I was, when we started out and building the twenty-two, um, what do you call it, board. And a lot of these guys were first time you watch them off or take guys. So that's awesome. And they, they finished on a lot of them um, and they didn't finish on a lot of them too. So it, it's a 50, 50 kind of deal, which is always going to be an old Miss Mississippi state deal. I think that's well said because it's so funny. I think we have a pretty interesting ma ask like uh, vantage point in uh, with regard to how the signing date has changed because like when they made the early signing period, that February holiday, I would say like 75% of that enthusiasm translated to the December aspect of it. But some of it was, uh, I guess, watered down just because it's like, oh, yeah, we do have this other signing day two months away. It still matters. But like, how do you get excited for, you know, Christmas twice type of thing if it happened in three months? Dude, when we were in college, I guess you would have been a freshman. Uh, the 2013 class, like when Kandichi or when Nimdichi, uh, I was a senior in high school. Oh, geez. Was I, yeah, I guess I was a freshman. Never mind. That that's tough. Been a while. Um, <laughs> but when Treadwell and Tunsil and Kandichi and even dudes that didn't work out, I'll use a later example. I know you were in college for when Deontay Anderson jumped out of a plane, when they got Greg little, like that was a huge deal. And that was like, you, I mean, how some of us would sit up at the fraternity house and, like plan whether we were going to class or not by the time the kid said he was going to sign and when they were going to put that, when they were going to put the feed on SEC network. We were all watching a, it. Yeah, <laughs> we were like everyone was crowded remember, around. And, I remember everyone was crowded around Matt Mims' computer watching the Jeff yes. signing. And it was a disappointing room, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, hell, I was covering a high school basketball game when Cam Akers uh, signed. There were so many people, and this is probably an indictment on some red and blue glasses on Miss Media, 
because I had just gotten done with an internship at the Clarion Ledger where Will Salmon cultivated a pretty good relationship with Cam Akers and people around Cam Akers. And I would ask Will, I was like, where is he going? He's like Florida State. But all the like the certain Ole Miss site in particular would tell you he's coming to Ole Miss. That kind of disappointment. I mean, I can't tell you how many texts I got within a 30-second period when Cam Akers picked up a Florida State at. Well, I've like, got some Cam Akers stories that I've heard. Oh, okay. The, the, We're not going to tell him one here. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But, like, that, that kind of excitement, that kind of guy – like there's that hype is not there. I would say it kind of falls in line with my, my analogy of the, the two signing days. I would say about 75% of that transferred over, you know, people would have been pumped about Jaheim Otis. I'm not sure it would have been Robert Kimdichie level pumped, but pretty close to it. They didn't get any of those guys, but you have to look at it through a different lens. As you mentioned, like people get emotional and they get upset about this stuff. Uh, I mean, the most important player on the defense, did anyone throw a party when Jake Springer transferred from Navy? Like, did, no. was, was there anyone gathered around a laptop for that? I know it's a different deal. I'm not expecting people to do that. But I just think we're whenever something changes and, and consumers of the content often take about 18 months to two years to kind of catch up to with how something's consumed, whether it's sports and offense and shit like that. I don't think we've adjusted to, like, expectations and how this goes down. I think we're still in very much a uh, 2014-ish mindset, if that makes any sense. And I say we just as people who watch this, no one in particular. No, yeah, I think I think that's where some of the the perception, an assumption from Ole Miss people would be, we won 10 games, we're fun as hell, sure. we have a quarterback all over social media, I mean, a coach all over social media and a quarterback that's about to go in the first round. Like, we're going to sign a 13 or 16 class, obviously, because we've done it before and we won a lot. And, you know, they, they're, they're not going to do that. And that doesn't mean it's going to be a bad class. There are a lot of different aspects, of course, the portal. But I think that's where, like, the questions are arising of, well, why didn't they? And neither of us really have the answers to that, you know, some thoughts about it. But I, I think it's unfair to just assume that these all these guys aren't going to be good football players because their, their rankings aren't that high or you didn't have Ole Miss splatter all over National Signing Day. Um, and I, I don't think that's fair to the staff yet because, you know, so far with a lot of the kids they've gotten, whether it's portal or high school in these last two classes, you know, they, they've been pretty successful. So I think grading classes isn't really fair. You got to give it some time. Um, but the, the outside look of being 12th in the SEC outside the top 25 and whatever, you know, thing you look at, it, you know, it's not a it's not it doesn't give you a lot of warm and fuzzies and that's not totally fair yet necessarily. That's the last two quick things I wanted to hit on before we got to some comments, both from Kiffin and you mentioned Dab earlier and around just the coaching coaching. Cause this is such chaos. That's what I kind of want to get to in a second, but the 12th in the sec top 20, whatever nationally thing is I am fascinated because I know you guys that work on the inside don't love the recruiting, uh, rankings deal i mean how uh tyler siski made no bones about that when i would just try to pick his brain when we were bored at 100 degree practice some days in the 45 minutes we got to sit out there but they do generate buzz and there is like i mean how that's part of what this is this is partially show business you got to generate buzz you got to generate hope i did an open on that back in the fall for this podcast I, I wonder how they're going to adjust these rankings with the portal and all that because i don't think that's caught up yet like how like I, when you get a transfer kid normally in the past, I don't think that carries much weight into where your ranking is. I'm not in some 24 seven composite guru in terms of the math and how all that works. But I do think there's going to be have, have to be some adjustments in terms of how we 
as people who do this for a living, I don't cover recruiting, obviously, but people in media, like in these these rating sites and all that, adjust to the transfer portal stuff because while it may not be Ole Miss heavy like we're seeing, this is going to become more and more and more normal. And I'm just curious how they're going to adapt to the rankings aspect of it, because that's a large part of what generates buzz in this class. Ole Miss was the talk of, I mean, Colin Cowherd did a 10 minute segment on Ole Miss in 2013 because they had the number four rated recruiting class in the country by their name, not because he knew the ins and outs of the Cron Treadwell and Laramie Tunzo. I can promise you that. I'm curious to see how that part of this plays out. There's going to have to be some sort of adjustments by these guys. So uh, Shannon Terry, what's up? How how are you going to do this? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a fair point. Um, no, like, are recruiting rankings, like, the biggest deal in the world? Not really. Um, it's not a huge factor to the staffs and everything like that. But the you shouldn't be so naive to say that, you know, when Georgia and Alabama are at the top every single year, that it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a great indicator. It's not science. Exactly. Um, so, uh, the indicate – like, if you're Ole Miss and South Carolina and Mississippi State and those – that kind of Arkansas where you're like, you know, split between 12 and 18, 20th and 25 or yeah. 12 and 18. Like that's the same thing. Uh, but being number 30 against being number four or three or two is a completely different animal. And Georgia and AM and shit, even freaking Kentucky, uh, they're like top 10. Uh, and that is a different kind of class than 25 is. Uh, is it that big of a difference? It's, you know, we'll see, but it is a difference. It doesn't mean like player by player, the rankings matter all that much, but in, you know, totality in the cumulative class, um, I mean, it's a thing. And you see every year, you know, people are like, oh, rankings don't matter. And then you look at the guys that are in the playoff and in contention for the playoff and their teams are full of five and four stars. <laughs> it's the, the, yeah, I never thought I'd make this- Cincinnati. Yes, exactly. But no, your point's well stated, and I I can't believe I'm making this reference on the podcast. Before he became a frontline freedom fighter for the culture wars, one of the more interesting content pieces I thought Clay Travis did, and he, forgive me, I was in college for most of this, he may have aggregated it, but I think it was somewhat original, was point out recruiting rankings over five years and how it translated to the last like three years BCS bowls or national title contenders. And we just talked about it being an indicator and not a science. When you look at it from a macro perspective of who's in the, these bowl games and who's in the national championship conversation every year, that shit was pretty close to science. It wasn't perfect, but it's, it's pretty damn close. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm just curious how that will be adapted with it. As we uh, as we kind of get it in this new age of transfers and free agency, as Kiffin put it, the last thing I wanted to ask you about before we get to those comments was Neil wrote a really good column earlier in the Jackson day. Oh, that, <laughs> you know, that that part of it as well. That's kind of what I was getting to in much of like more micro sense. Like, sure. so Neil wrote a really good column earlier in the day about like again, it requires his premise was it requires nuance to look at this class, which I think we've done talking about this. But the part that's left to be desired that he brought up that I thought was interesting, and I don't think guys that work in the business necessarily put a ton of weight on this, just judging from the conversations I've had with like you and other people. Ole Miss went 10 and 2. I think Neil dubbed it as like alderman type days in Oxford for LSU and Texas AM weekend. You have about as much momentum as a program as you could possibly have ever dreamed of having, given where you were in say like October of 2019 and yet they didn't get 
any of those one to two fence kids that generates buzz with the class, like you mentioned, do you put any sort of stock or correlation to that? Because I know a kid, what Hugh Freeze always used to love to say, like, look, a kid's never going to come here because we beat so-and-so on a Friday or Saturday afternoon. Which in October. is a million percent true. Yeah, sure. But do you put any stock into the general narrative, like the general idea of like, man, they had, they like, they, they're the kind of shiny new toy on the block and they still didn't get any of these fence kids. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a weird deal. You know, you would assume that they would have had some real momentum, especially in state um, with a lot of these guys with the way they played this year. Um, But I think, the in-state thing is so weird because having gone through so through a few cycles of in-state, some of these kids just want to leave. And that's something you can never recruit against. Branson I mean, Robinson was a non-factor. Was a non-factor when we offered him when I was still there. Like he literally like was never interested ever. He just never showed interest. Wasn't interested. Want to get out of the state. You know, it was either going to be Alabama or Georgia or like Texas or something. He, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, there's been years uh, who else was a guy like that? I mean, Nicobe Dean was kind of a guy like that. I mean, he was considering Ole Miss, and that was the only one. He never even visited Mississippi State, if I remember correctly. He was just not even – he was not even considering them. Cam Akers was the same kind of deal. Didn't even consider Mississippi State. But there's been guys who've never even considered Ole Miss. Um, that's a fight that is so much more ingrained in a Mississippi issue than it is an Ole Miss and Mississippi State issue. Um, so now that you're fighting that, you're fighting another SEC program in your state that basically every single year, no matter how good or bad each program is, uh, you're splitting 50-50. So now you have to hit on out-of-state guys. Well, NIL-wise, good luck getting a kid from Texas. Good luck getting yeah. a, a real player from Louisiana or a guy from Alabama or Georgia that those programs want. So you're you're going to have to either smoke the portal or evaluate – like a, like the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> it's going to be one or the other um, because you're just in a really weird spot. And the West is truly, like we say it every year, but it, it absolutely is true right now, is as competitive as it will ever be. Every team is good. No team is bad. Every coach is good, maybe except for Harson. You know, no coach is really bad. I mean, look uh, at the names in there. I mean, look at who's coaching each program. Hell, and the one that you would think, like, who the hell is this guy, just looking at it from a nameplate perspective, has been about as good as you could possibly ask for. And then some in Sam Pittman. You're right. You could argue yeah. Brian Harson is the seventh, like the seventh out of seven in the SEC. West. I would argue it and, and be confident. It might not be like, close. You're right. Like, that's the only program that's, like, in legitimate flux right now. Even Mississippi State, I mean, just from a talent, like a roster standpoint, going into next year, the Ole Miss roster, the Mississippi State roster, it's it's not that big of a difference. Arkansas at Ole Miss, Arkansas may even have a better one. They signed a hell of a class today, plus the Oklahoma receiver that's transferring there. Uh, I mean, you have to play Kentucky next year. That will probably be a better team overall than Ole Miss next year, just from a full roster standpoint. Now, I, I think I'm going to take Ole Miss in that game because I think that coaching-wise – uh, I like the matchup, but just from a, what that program has done these past few years, I mean, they're a problem now. They're like a real football team. It's not just, you know, turn off the TVs until November when basketball starts. I mean, they're putting some serious coin into football. Um, Ole Miss is going to have to do the same, uh, or this is going to be kind of more of the norm. 
I'm fascinated by it too, because as we've probably hit it over the head again, like the portal opportunity gives you the opportunity to even the playing field if you do it correctly. So you have to be so precise. So maybe the aspect of kind of being the riverboat gambler when that sense is, you know, at least in the short term, that's how he views his best chance to close that gap. And, you know, and they you know, can do that and they, they can. can do it successfully and uh, prove any notion of us wrong. And I, I hope they do do that. Now, I truly do think. They, I know they have a plan and I know they can execute it and they can do it successfully. Um, but just, it's going to be risky. Someone, the last thing I have was the, before you, someone, people driving around the road are going to want to run off the road when I hear this, but the last two coaches Ole Miss had were Mississippi guys, Mississippi natives. I don't think that makes a hill of beans difference in terms of how you run a football program. But in terms of in-state kids leaving the state, I am generally of the belief that kind of goes in cycles. You have some kids some years that want to stay in state more so than others. Um, but from the aspect of just simply Lane Kiffin versus Hugh Freeze sitting in like a Mississippi kid's living room, do you put any stock to the idea that Freeze can do the oh shucks, hell yeah, your apple pie or whatever the hell it is, like is better versus Kiffin kind of walking in there and being like, this has what in it and stuff like that. Like just relating to Southern Mississippi kids in small towns. So Jaheim Otis is from Columbia, Mississippi. I know nothing about Jaheim Otis, but he's probably a little different than say if Highland Park high school put out a kid. Like, do you, is there any sort of uh, relation like relating to kids like that, having a guy from the South? I am not saying Ole Miss should go back and hire a Mississippi guy. I was just curious like how that works. No, 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 I know what you're saying. Um, I think there are some truths to that. Um, I think it's just more of a difference of how you recruit. Um, you know, just knowing Coach Luke and hearing stories of Freeze, those are like relationship one-on-one, going to, you know, kill they it with love the parents, freeze. kill it with the kids. Uh, you know, that's just their – that's their, you know, best bullet is getting in home, getting one-on-one. Kiffin is very different. Kiffin is a – you know, a projector of his program. He's a, look what I've done in the past. Look how I've developed kids. Look at the NFL. If you want to do this, you come here. If you don't, well, I'm probably not going to be able to sell you this pin. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. To so like a high school kid and some kids love that. That's all they want to hear. And some kids, they want that like personal one-on-one relationship and Kiffin, you know, with kids that are quieter, he's kind of like, it's it's tough. With Kiffin, who's quiet and introverted, and a, a recruit that's quiet and introverted, like, it's just not a great match. When there's a kid that's got a ton of juice and, like, he's excited and loves ball, Kiffin kills it with those kids because it's easy for him. Um, some coaches kill it with everybody. So that's – it's just kind of a weird dynamic. And it's weird because your, your head coach has to be your best recruiter. It has to be your number one recruiter on – almost every kid you're you're getting and I'm just I, I don't know I, I think he's doing learning to do it as the head coach in the SEC now but I think there's clearly a ways to go and um some assistance I, I don't know I don't know I, I'm not dogging on him because he he has done a really good job and I think his aspect of recruiting works fantastic with portal guys which is why they've done so well with it um, but there might be a point where he's got to be like, okay, I've got to start being, you know, I don't need to look like a Brian Kelly's looking right now, but I, I've got to start buying in on relationships a little bit more. Who knows? I shouldn't be the one talking. I'm not in it anymore for, for a reason. Um, and he, he's, 
They won 10 games. There should be no one really complaining about anything, but I, I understand why there is a little bit of concern. As we move on to the last portion of this podcast, I think that's pretty well said, by the way, but like the last part of this podcast, the Hunter kid that decommitted from Florida state kind of broke the internet and college football. And, you know, it's going to lead every morning show in the country. And I dudes like skip Bayless who don't know shit about college football. Don't flip it on their television are going to fire off some takes into the, uh, into the abyss about what this means. You might even, I, I keep waiting. I have like a, I think Bayless or Shannon Sharp. I put Shannon Sharp as a minus 500 favorite. Bayless is minus 300. And then maybe like, shit, Will Kane went to Fox. Never mind. Uh, Kellerman, is he still around? Minus 200? I don't think so. <laughs> to go with Jackson State should be allowed in the playoff in the next half decade. Someone's going to squat on that take. I don't know where the uh, Kellerman is, but uh, I'll, I'll take odds as the house on that. What did you make of, of this decision? Because there's so many levels to unpack this. I I had no idea really this was even a possibility. I'm not sure anyone did. And so I started, like everyone else, I'm sure, listening, reading my timeline today. I was like, oh, number one player in the country might be going to Jackson State. There's, I call it rumors of a barstool NIL deal. The Jackson State Clarion Ledger beat writer, who I actually know a little bit, he used to cover preps for the Memphis News reported that the deal wasn't true, but I just don't buy that. Like you, Barstow has a documentary crew that makes the season essentially for Jackson exactly. state right. yeah. and a gigantic NIL deal. Hell Danny Cannell as big of an you know, idiot as he can be sometimes is over is on rate talk radio today, talking about it as if it's fact. Now he's saying, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's pretty huge. Clearly this kid got a bag of cash for, to go to Jackson state, whatever way you want to take this. What did you make of this? I found it to just be like, wow, I don't know what to think of it yet. Yeah, I, I've been, like, following it all day because I think it is it is fascinating. Um, first of all, good for the kid. <laughs> good for that kid. Because if the deal is true and he's getting somewhere around $2 million, that's awesome for him. You know, like, who, who cares about anything else? And people that are frustrated at him – that's got to be just Florida State fans frustrated he didn't go. I was about to say, they probably have Tomahawk somewhere in their Instagram bio. Right. Um, but you you saw it today and you knew it was coming. There were all these articles and people, you know, just flashing out stuff that like, oh, like this is what NIL is all about. Like this is parody in college football. This is what we wanted. Like the old, the old days are over. Like not all the best kids are going to go to Bama and Georgia. And that could not be more false. In fact, it will be the exact opposite. <laughs> One kid going to Jackson State will change absolutely nothing with college football. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He, people will forget about this, like, literally in the beginning of next year. They'll be like, oh, damn, forgot that kid went to Jackson State. While A&M has seven, four star, seven, five stars in their signing class. It, it just it's so typical that people are like, oh, no, like, you know, this is the HBCU's moment. And I think it's awesome for Jackson State. And it's awesome for the kid. Good for Dion making it happen. But the idea that this like is some like revolutionary changing of the guard and, you know, college football will be different for forever because of this deal is nonsense because. A high, a high school basketball kid went did this and went to Howard a few years ago and make her make make her make the guy with the same first name as last name. I people say I agree with you too much. This I could not have printed this out on a script and us repeated it better. I, I could not possibly agree more. The Howard kid is the great example. I was going to go there too. Like 
do you even remember what did you hear anything about the kid? I can't no. remember if that was the year the NCAA tournament got canceled and we're not being totally fair, but it doesn't matter. He didn't play on national TV. Like this, I, I, again, continue your, finish your thought, but I, man, I could not agree more. This is not going to change anything. I think NIL has created the opportunity for kids to go off the beaten path, which is awesome. Like you said, good for the kid, but in terms of the changing the landscape of college football as a whole, I just don't buy into that shit. No, I mean, Texas is paying all their offensive linemen signees $150,000. You know, call me whenever Wake Forest is doing that, or yep. call me whenever, uh, whenever Southern University in Baton Rouge is paying like you know a quarter of a million dollars or something like that for an offensive tackle. Then, then we'll maybe we'll have a, a bigger conversation. But this is just such a one-off. It, it's it's so bad because if this whole deal is true, not bad. It, it's just a little sleazy because if this deal is true and it's this barstool pin gaming. Dion deal, then it's so more about Dion and Barstool yes. than it is about this kid. And that might not really matter to that many people because the kid's going to get $2 million and no one will care because he's getting generational money, you know, as a young kid and he's earned it because he's a hell of a football player. But this is all for a marketing for a different company. This They're not, they're not doing this off of his name, image, and likeness. They're doing it for Dion's. Um, and you know what? That's just part of it. You know, I'm not even necessarily like hating on it, but it's you just kind of have to call it out for what it is. It's not changing anything and it's not about the kid. And I think that's what Ryan Day when he said, he's like, look, like I love these kids getting money. Like, I think they deserve it. But man, like it's really tough having all these outside entities making these deals instead of the coaches because you just have no control over it. It's not like even Lane with his comments, no one yes. is saying they don't like it. Lane, I think, is frustrated because maybe he would like to get more of these guys, <laughs> but he's not against it. No one's against it except for Dabo, and that's going to torpedo his program if he continues <laughs> to say it. But they're all saying the exact same thing. It's like, yeah, like we just want to like be able to have a little more control over it, a little more autonomy over it, so that we don't have kids that are getting promised stuff that we're not, you know, physically promising them. And then if it doesn't work out it makes us look like assholes when in reality we can't set up any of these deals anyway. I think that's their biggest issue. And that's the biggest issue with NIL. It's never these kids getting money and transferring and all these deals and whatever. It's the programs being kind of left out in the cold on it to an extent um, when it comes to these big ones. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit to kind of back up what you're saying. It's the whole, like, I mean, I don't, I, I don't follow Dion on Twitter, but I looked at it a couple of, for a couple of minutes today. It was all about like I told you so, because Ross Dellinger did a piece on him last year where he's talking about like I don't see why HBCUs like can't attract the best talent, and that's noble, like good for him. It's not a bad thing, but this is definitely more Dion than it is about the kid. And you're right, like a, a, a sports blog that's gotten huge and been – I love Barstool's content. Of the, I say Barstool's content. I love some of Barstool's content. I'm not an anti-Barstool guy, but there's just something about that that doesn't feel, like, genuine. But it doesn't, like, matter at all because the kid's getting generational wealth and great for him. There's just so many layers to unpack to it. I just – I'm in the camp with you. I think it's a one-off. The the maker maker kid, I'm sure I'm butchering the shit out of that name. Who cares? Like, 
that that's a one-off. You didn't start seeing kids go to HBCUs over and over and over again for no. obvious reasons. Look at the press release Alabama sent out today. The 22 kids that they got like five, like six five stars and 14 four stars or whatever the hell it is and a couple of three stars mixed in. Like that's not changing anytime soon. No. But if a kid wants to go blaze his own path, kind of be different and make his own like you know, make his own way and impact on college football, then great for him. I think that gives him the opportunity to do that while creating generational wealth, which is awesome. I just, I didn't, it, everyone keeps calling this chaos. I just think it requires to be looked at with nuance, this entire thing, this entire NIL age, because there's so many different factors to it. It is chaotic in a way to try to keep up with, but it, it's not chaotic in the sense of like, I don't know how you're supposed to look at each individual case. I guess that's exactly what you have to do. And I think this is absolutely a one-off in that sense. So I don't know. I just found that aspect of it fascinating and, you know, good for Dion, good for the kid, like we keep saying, but I don't think this changes a whole hell of a lot. I think your point about Kiffin and these coaches saying this are, is particularly true. And I think it's spot on because I don't think Kiffin, if I have to hear one more fucking national radio show over the last two days, I spent a lot of time in the car as we outlined, as I was texting you today about like, got to push it back 30 more minutes. This uh, truck hasn't moved in a while trying to get home from <laughs> Dallas. Yeah, like, no, that feeling. I've listened to a bunch of talk radio and there's probably a separate thing I'll do in the newsletter about like talk radio and like what exactly that is these days. But I listen to mad dog radio, which is about as old fashioned talk radio as you can get. And there was a third show on that network alone who posted the clip of Kiffin talking about college football free agency or uh, college football being free agency, like make no mistake about it type of thing and titling it some version of Lane Kiffin has some complaints. It's like one, have you ever listened to Lane Kiffin talk that guy could win the lottery and then stand up there and address a crowd of reporters. Like he's talking at a funeral. Like that's just the way he yeah. talks. He's benefited from the portal more so than anyone else. That guy's not anti-portal at all. I just think it's lazy and disingenuous to label it as that, which probably shows you how screwed up our news cycle is, but that's really neither here nor there. My point being is none of these coaches are anti that, but in a world that lacks genuineness in an industry that lacks genuineness, I think the idea that they're like, Hey, like what did Kevin say? I hope these kids get what they're promised. I think that's yeah. a genuine concern. I think he's frustrated that he's not getting more kids and Ole Miss maybe isn't as organized off of that. But I do think there is some genuine concern with him being like, God damn, these kids are being sold a bag of goods. Right. I, I, I completely agree. Uh, I, we don't go against each other too much, but right. Like people say, I agree too much, but we're, I, I'd say we're about as aligned as possible on this. It just no, makes yeah. no sense. Uh, I don't know if I would go as far as to say he's like genuinely concerned. Um, he's I not think, losing sleep, but like, uh, no. Um, but I think it's 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 a few things. I think he he obviously doesn't. He's not against the portal, and he's not against NIL. No, I don't think many coaches are. I think they're like this is a good thing. I think they really are just frustrated like all football coaches are, that they don't have control over it. They're like, we we just can only do so much with this. Like, it's really all not totally in our control. It's our athletic department, outside businesses, a bunch of these thousand nobody agents that are coming out of the woodworks to, to say they're a big deal with these kids, as I'm sure a few Ole Miss fans are now familiar with. Um, you know, that's their biggest deal is they don't have that kind of control over this deal. And he's probably seeing other schools be a little bit more organized and getting players that he wish he wanted. So it's a, it's a selfish concern and it's a overarching concern. Um, 
But the idea that like Kiffin, I all the biggest thing was like, oh, well, Kiffin, you left after a, a one year deal at Tennessee where seven point and you're now you're making seven and a half million dollars. You're, you know, you're bitching and complaining about the kids getting paid. Oh, no, God. he's not. <laughs> he's not bitching about them getting paid. He's hoping that all this thing, like these things work out for all these kids. And he probably wants to get as many of them as he can. <laughs> it's he's not against any of it. It's so dumb. It's, it's probably like you mentioned, like it goes as far as to say, like he's losing sleep at night. Like I'm worried about so-and-so because he went here because of the most money. It's more so just pointing out like uh, uh, some of this is going to be bullshit. And I'm just going to sit back here in a couple of years and say, I told you so and the kids in the portal, that type of thing. But I think there's genuine concern in the sense of the kid getting a raw deal. It's fascinating. I am of the opinion, this gets into a very wide ranging conversation, but I am of the opinion that the kids that are cashing in on this now, the Quinn Ewers kid who went to Ohio state made whatever portion of money he did on that NIL deal. And there's then, rumors that like, you thought this Travis Hunter deal was a big deal. Yes. Like the Texas, you know, offensive payroll is going to be like that of like the freaking Tampa Bay Rays. Like it's going to be a lower level minor major league team. After, and that's after he went to Ohio state. And as the youth like to say on the internet, went and got the bag. I am of the opinion. This is a finite amount of time. Because I just think when this all happened, as I've used this example countless times, they regular I and mean, they allowed NIL, they made it full go, whatever legislation you want to call it. And Bo Nix is sweet tweeting out a sweet tea commercial or whatever NIL deal at, at you know 1203 when it went into effect at midnight. Like this all happened so fast. I, I just all these kids are not worth this amount of money to me. I'm not saying they shouldn't get it. Credit to them. I just think the kids cashing in now are gonna look back and think, man, I hit it in the golden era. I think kids are always going to make money as they should, but I just think eventually there's going to be some sort of regulation to this because eventually oh, yeah. maybe it won't matter, but a bunch of rich people are going to be like, I gave that kid seven figures and he never played it down here. Uh, I'll probably stop doing that. So yeah, I just yeah. think that there's going to be, as you mentioned, like coaches don't have control of this and it's an industry full of control freaks, which I think is spot on, right? Like this does not jive with their nature. There's eventually going to be some regulation, some control to all this which I think there should be, which leads me to the other part of Kiffin's comments where he's like, we have free agency in college football. The only problem is these kids aren't bound to a contract. So they can go grab the full allotment of what the monetary part of a contract would be. And then be like, I right, see, you. I'm going to go do this at the next school and just kind of rob them blind. And that's again, not an anti-kid thing, but I think there's some merit to that. So I think regulation is coming. And I think these kids cash in and now are going to be viewed as the luckiest generation of college talent there ever was. No, yeah, there's there's a bubble to this. I think you know you have some of these schools with like unlimited money, and maybe they'll just ride it out. But there's gonna be a bubble to some of these companies and these deals where they, they pay these kids, and it just doesn't work out, and it doesn't benefit them at all in any way. And they're like, I, I'm not doing that again. And um, I actually I saw T Bob Abear on Twitter. He he works for Baton Rouge Radio, and I really like listening to whatever T Bob has to say because he's not. You know, he's obviously a huge LSU fan, but he, he's he's pretty generalistic with a lot of his statements and he won't be too much of a homer. And he was saying that, you know, I think this is a deal where the NCAA just kind of let this happen so that they could pull out like the Thanos quote of, you know, you couldn't handle your failure failure and that led you back to me. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I like like you know, they, they let this wild, wild west happen so that all the schools and coaches could turn around and be like, NCA, please regulate us again because we don't know what to do. We can't handle this. Um, this is only going to happen for so long. It's kind of like um, if someone commented, because this is not any of my stuff, but someone commented like it's like when the NFL – tried to um, disingenuously 
uh, officiate the pass interference. Like they put in that rule, they're going to view the pass interference, but they did it with such shitty intentions that they knew it was going to fail and that they would just totally revert back to the norm. Um, I, I saw someone comment that like that could not be a better analogy for what I think is going to happen with this. The NCA and everyone involved let this NIL thing happen, did it with such bad intentions and no control that eventually it's just going to go back to a much more modified norm of this. I don't think this is going to happen long term. We could be 100% wrong. And this could be the new norm. And then people just kind of figure it out. Um, but I think in two or three years, when these big ass deals turn out to be kind of duds and the ROI isn't what they thought it was going to be for all these people, that they're the, uh, the well is going to dry up. And I, I hope it doesn't because I hope these kids all get whatever money they can get because that's, that's a good thing. It is never a bad thing. I think it's the intentions and the rules and the control and the organization that is totally whacked right now. Look, you could be the biggest capitalist in the world, but like you, I think everyone pretty much agrees some things need to be regulated. And I mean, how to use a weird example, I've gotten in a big binge of like Pablo Escobar and like Colombian drug cartel shit, Medellin cartel. When there's no regulation on that, you get a guy fighting a war against a country when he has enough money to buy the country's national debt twice. Like there's got to be some sort of regulation to this. And also it's never uh, sustainable. Like it's always going to spontaneously combust at some point. I'm with you on that aspect of it. It's just, it's fascinating. And you mentioned like the NCAA kind of letting, letting the horses run wild to turn around. So a couple people, a couple years later, like, Hey, can you please regulate this? I think there's some truth to that. I've made this point a couple of times. I had my uh, buddy Michael Portner on the show last week because he just became a sports agent talking about NIL. For as much as everyone – look, if you say something pro Mark Embert, no one is going to be like, yep, awesome, you're right. Like, (coughs) the hell with it. Like, yeah, that's great. Great take. Mark Embert is great. But he did try. That's why he was up in Washington, uh, you know, the last couple weeks before this happened, just being like, hey, can someone please put some sort of national regulations in this? This is going to be a zoo. I think there was some selfish intention with that. But I think most of the selfish intention lied with the fact that the entire concept of NIL. NIL happened because the NCAA and the schools were like, well, you can't have any of our money, but if you want to make some of your own money, then have at it. And it's created this, I mean, it's not even an independent contractor. It's just like this cartel-like system to where it's just a free-for-all. And again, you like it's weird to talk about this because you sound like anti it, which I'm not at all. Yeah, but I just think there has to be regulation. Like I just that. think Emmert had a point where he's looking at all these people in Congress who don't know shit about sports and be like, please put some kind of rail guards on this because this is going to be a shit show. And now you have a shit show. It's just a wildly entertaining one. Yeah, but not not a cap. Don't put a right. cap on. That's not what we're saying. You, we're, this is not a socialist country. This is capitalism, <laughs> and we're cool with it. Yes. We don't need a cap on it. If, if the guys want to spend big, spend big. That's fine. Yeah, go for but it. Just some uniform rules, just so everybody understands what you can and can't do. And now there's all this nonsense about people getting investigated for it. Like, what the hell is the NCAA going to do? They've been neutered to a hilarious level. They have no power. So if they let the cat out of the bag and it's only going to be up to the schools and coaches and universities to go back crawling to the NCAA, you know, like I said, my little, my little Thanos, Thanos quote, like that's what it's going to take. And will that happen? Who knows? Oh, you have Morgan compliance Smith. departments being like, eh, I don't know. I think it's legal. Who's going to investigate it? And like, no one's ever going to say that on record. But when you talk to compliance people at different universities, they're like, 
shit, we don't know. We think we have an idea of what this is, but we don't know. Just some sort of rail guards, like you mentioned, <laughs> just something to go off of. There's no map. It's completely Sorry, I'm, I'm laughing at Morgan Freeman is sitting next to Marshall Henderson at this basketball game with a total bombshell in between yes. them. I see that. <laughs> I'm guessing she's right there with, I, I, no disrespect to Morgan, I'm guessing she's there with Marshall. We both have this up on the side TV as Ole Miss is uh, slogging their way, I would call it, to a uh, – victory over middle Tennessee. Yeah. I'm going to go what I'm going to go minus 300 odds. That chick showed up there with Marshall, but if I would guess don't, don't put it past him though. That is true. (laughs) I mean, he's, he is, he's got a great voice. Um, but yeah, it's just some sort of cap on this. I'm just, I'm fascinated to see. And I think the last part kind of reining it back in a little bit with Kiffin's comments about, we have free agency and all that. And he kind of followed it up a little bit today. I think he's frustrated with Ole Miss not being, this is so difficult to critique because I know this is coming. I can't really say why I know this is coming per se. Ole Miss is getting organized when it comes to NIL. Um, Read into that what you want about how that's coming, but there are schools that beat them to the ball on this, i.e. Texas. I'm sure Alabama's got a deal. I think he's frustrated by that, and I think that's where those comments burned out of where, like, we just can't offer. I mean, it's almost – he sounded like a a less less witty Andy Kennedy up there being like – what are you going to do? Johnny O'Brien went to LSU because we can't offer him this amount of money. There's no network. And I think that's coming. And, you know, you get the benefit of the doubt some because this is all so new. But I think that's where most of that came from. I don't think he's anti. Well, I know. I know for a fact he's not anti players get money. And I just thought the way that was portrayed was incredibly lazy, but honestly, par for the course. Yeah. Look, I'm confident Kiffin will figure all this out. But the problem is it's not really up to Kiffin when it comes to the NIL stuff. And I think that's, like you just said, is is the crux of his frustration and kind of where all these comments are coming from. It's not because of his disdain for the system. It's because his current system isn't giving him the advantages that programs on an equal footing are, are getting. Um, and that's going to hold Ole Miss back pretty heavily if they can't get it figured out. Um, and I'm not saying they won't, but it, it's pretty clear – just from context clues that they haven't been able to do it yet. Yep. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see how that turns out because it's going to happen eventually. But honestly, I'm not even sure that's going to make enough of a difference because it all goes like this all end up ties back to like the, the resources and the boosters and all that. Like, I don't think Ole Miss, even if they are organized, is going to be able to compete with the Texas or Texas A&M, even when everyone's on even footing with that. So, like, in the end of the day, I think we're going to look back in 10 years and it's all going to be largely the same shit, which is going to be hilarious, but also get Kiffin's point. So, honestly, I think if I had to take a guess with a guy with a pro background and him kind of, I don't want to say acting like the smartest guy in the room, but the way he thinks about things, don't you think his style, particularly with, you know, him not necessarily being the go into the living room and comment about how great their living rooms, you know, decor and food is and all that stuff. Don't you think he prefers a little bit more of the free agency model? Oh, I definitely do. And I think that's why he's so into it is because that's something he prefers, probably something he's more comfortable with recruiting the kind of kids he wants to recruit, you know, guys that, you know, they're not technically professionals, but they're, they're as close as professionals can be. And he probably – in all honesty, trust his evaluations and the staff's evaluations on current college kids more than high school kids, which is why they signed so few. He's probably like, man, like I just, if we love a high school kid, we will sign him. If we don't love him, we're just not doing it. And I don't disagree with that concept at all. Um, But you just, 
got to sign more kids that you love. <laughs> That's kind of where the issue is, exactly. Um, but I, I agree. I think that he is much more suited to recruit these transfer portal kids. They clearly had more success with it, at least with the impact guys. And I think he will do a great job with it in the future. Look, and he beat the shit out of that drum today, too. He was like, look, we had very high st- – he kept saying we have high standards. Like, we're not going to rush it. That's not kids. nonsense. Like, I've been, been in the room. He he really – like, if a guy – if we're not confident 100% on a guy, they'll they'll kind of just disregard it. And they, they, update the, they update that. They look at all his games from junior and senior year, and they're like, you know, I just don't know. And if they don't know, they're not saving a spot for him. Absolutely. So, I think that's fascinating. Uh I guess the last thing we'll get to before we get out of here, um, quarterback, what do you think they're going to do? I don't think there's a world where, well, that's probably a little strong. I'd put it at like a 15% chance, 10% chance they're rolling with Luke Altmaier in the next season. But that to me is kind of the biggest, it's not even elephant in the room because he was asked about it twice, but like, that's kind of the big question. It's like, what are they going to do at signal caller next year? Cause look, they have needs to still be met. They met some of them today but the bulk of their work is still to be done, right? They need probably multiple receivers. I think they're in good position with some of the guys. And look, this is going to be a long play, right? You're going to have dudes that get pissed off and leave after spring. And you're going to have guys that like the, the transfer dudes don't sign in I in LIs. Whoever decided to make that acronym, those two acronyms so similar should probably go jump off a bridge in LI and NIL transfer guys don't sign in LIs. So they don't sign letters of intent. So this could happen at any time and they can drag it out as long as they want to. But, like, they probably need, a, what, a couple receivers, at least one offensive lineman, probably two. I'm guessing a corner. I'm just really kind of going down the list. They need to fill in the gaps everywhere. But yeah. that all starts with quarterback. What do you think happens at quarterback? Just your guess. I don't. You don't even have to say who, but, like, do you – I don't know. I just don't think it's Luke Altmaier, I guess, is my, my concrete statement. Yeah, my, my guess and assumption is that they get one. Who that's going to be – is, is a total crapshoot. Um, I mean, I think there's some pretty good options out there. Um, I, I don't think even if their plan is to get two, I mean, if they get a second to go along with the first, it, it is a it is a camp arm. It is a it is a practice arm, you know, not a guy that they plan on having in a real competition because I just don't think you'll find a guy in the portal that will take that offer. Um, but I do have confidence in him to get a quarterback. I mean, that's the recruit, the position he, you know, recruits well and has recruited well in the past and has developed well in the past. I I just don't know which one it's going to be. And I do think that hiring an offensive coordinator is a huge part of that. And they haven't done that yet. So I think this quarterback thing will probably go out a little bit longer than fans may want to see. But I think they are going to get one that they like. Um, I just couldn't tell you which one it's going to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, and I think it will drag out too. And I think that's part of what the transfer portal allows you to do is to be a little bit uh, – I would say a little bit more patient. But, yeah, also at the same time, uh, I think the quote that made the rounds with what you said last time was talking about 30 minutes of the first day of spring as an evaluator being like, oh, oh shit, yeah. this guy sucked or does he not? You want the guy in spring. Like, clearly, right? Like, this has a shelf life. You can drag it out a little bit longer, but not really. You need that job that – like, you need your starter in there for spring. Uh, You know, Ole Miss did try (laughs) – look, it was a different world back then. But uh, Jeremiah Masoli coming in from Oregon in August did not work out well for the Rebels. Now, he could have – he could have had an offensive line comprised of air and been better off because probably less holding. 
but like it, it didn't work out well. It was not a, a great deal. So I think there is some sort of shelf life to it to where like you probably need to get this guy in by spring. That was the follow-up I was going to have. Did no, you, you have to. Would you rule yeah. out of them having two though? Would you rule out him getting two? I would be pretty shocked. Okay. Like, I, like I said, if they get a second one, like it would probably be a guy who is, you know, a, a, a depth guy, you know, a, a camp arm, a, a somebody who is, you know, from a lower level that, you know, just wants to be an SC program, but not a guy you're going to, you know, assume will be competing for a starting spot. Um, that would be my guess. And like, yeah, you're right. Cause you don't, you want a guy in by spring because if you get a guy like just out of the wind, if you get a guy like Jack Miller who hasn't played a lot and you get him in the fall for like August camp or That's fall tough. camp or whatever, and you get those first three practices, you're like, oh, well, this kid isn't exactly the second coming of Joe Burrow, Ohio State transfer. We're in trouble. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. Um, and then, of course, all this could be null and Altmaier could be a stud, um, which is, by the way, completely possible. I, I, I really I like Altmaier. I really like Altmaier. Um, I just – I'm reading off the tea leaves of how they're approaching this transfer portal and assume that they don't assume that he's going to be the guy. He is Weldon Rodenberg, formal Ole Miss recruiting specialist. This is uh, this is your bread and butter. I appreciate the insight as always. We'll be back at it. We're going to do one more thing before the Sugar Bowl, probably just some Baylor stuff, um, maybe a quick hitting segment. But um, or do you envy? Uh, do you regret not still working in this when you see uh, all this nonsense happening? On this is a loaded question. I know your answer to this, but uh, what do you when you see today? There's no nostalgia. Um, no, because I'm going to Tampa this weekend to go watch the Saints, the Saints play the Bucks Sunday night football. Uh, I didn't get to do that when I worked there. <laughs> so no, I don't miss it at all. Enjoy the football game, the trip this weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> See ya. All righty. That's our show. I appreciate you guys making it to the end. And thank you for making us a, uh, a part of your day. We'll be back with the normal Friday show. Probably going to do a hoops check in with Brack and Ray. We couldn't get that, uh, couldn't get that worked out from a timing perspective on a Sunday. So, and then we had recruiting stuff all week with uh, signing day and all that. So probably do a hoops check in and then Greg Skybox and I will be doing our bold pick em extravaganza that will be highly, highly competitive. So check that out. Be looking for that on Friday. Still got three pods this week. Just wanted to work around the signing day because I uh, dropped in the pod the morning of signing day made uh, no sense. So anyway, appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back tomorrow and uh, have a safe and happy end of your week.